You're listening to Wealth at Work, a show designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Hosted by financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x, Ross Marino. Welcome to the Wealth at Work show. Today, we are speaking with Marianne Spatola. Hello, Marianne. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having me today. It's great to meet you. So glad to have you on. It's great to meet you. And often on on podcasts and recordings, we have the the conversation before the recording. And uh, we we just had to stop because I think we would have gone for an hour or two before we started. (laughs) So I pressed record. It looks like we can get started now. That sounds great. Let's dive in. How about if you start for the first 60 seconds and let everybody know uh, what you do and uh, what you've done and what you're currently working on? Awesome. Yes. Uh, Marianne Zapatola. My firm is called C3 Talent Strategies. I was a former HR exec, I'm an adjunct professor at NYU, where I teach in the human resources graduate programs. Um, and my soapbox and my wheelhouse has been connecting talent and strategy. That's how I built my career. That's where I help my organizations and clients. And it's what I love to do. And I've been teaching a course at NYU, my signature class called The Future of HR, Aligning Business and Strategy to Your HR Function. Oh my gosh, for almost a decade now. So I've been on this soapbox about the future of HR and the future of work. And the pandemic hits. And I had to rewrite my syllabus three or four different times to try and keep up with it all. Um, But then what I started to notice was I think David Solomon from Goldman Sachs was the first one to say, okay, as the pandemic wanes, everybody back in the office. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 not that fast, if it ever happens at all. And I started to see it more and more and started talking to my colleagues about it. And somebody suggested, well, that would be a great book. And I'm like, well, how about that? So that's what I did. And I pursued that. It took me about a year to put it together and write it between my research and interviews. I interviewed global leaders um, in different positions all around the world to ask them what leadership practices they adopted during the pandemic to help make them successful. Um, And so that became my book called (laughs) The Office is Dead, Now What? And it's a field guide for leadership, right? And so what we've done is captured all of the leadership practices and five of them emerged to be the most popular ones that help people succeed, not just um, survive, but thrive through the pandemic and how they could lead their companies forward. And so when I saw this retraction, I was like, that's not where we need to be. And why would we throw the results of the world's largest remote working experiment in history out the window. Um, There just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, So that's what I've been doing. We have um, programs in my firm that we offer to help develop future ready leaders, we call them. Um, We do some coaching services and a lot of HR strategy work, uh, helping HR leaders and executives try and figure this puzzle out. You know, it's, it's a little ironic in that when the pandemic hit, Everybody was in a frenzy because there was no playbook. Remember that cliche? Um, And we really didn't know what to do. So we learned to experiment. We tried new things out. We had to step into practices that we never did before. Um, And now here we are three years later, the pandemic has waned. And we're eerily back in the same position we were three years ago because nobody's really figured out what do we do with the 
the office now. It's different. The office as we knew it really doesn't exist anymore. And people have spent three years figuring out new ways to work and they want to be able to continue doing that. You'll often hear people say, I just wish things would go back to the way they were. And I know as just someone who's been on this earth for many decades, I'm not <laughs> sure that works for anything. You know, it's always evolving. Nothing really goes back. Certainly there is some movement back to the office. We were almost 100% remote for a while, and now we're a mix of remote and in the office. So there is a shift back to the office. But as you just mentioned, it's not like it was. I mean, what does that really look like now? And, and how do you think, is that going to play out over the next three, four, five years? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, it's funny. I had to decide on the title for my book in July of 20, uh, 21. So it was like a year later. And when I started soliciting the title with friends about the office is dead now, what the pushback I got immediately was, well, won't we be back in the office by the time your book publishes? And I'm like, mm, not so fast, if at all. Um, and so it's ironic that that's where we are at this moment because it is really the hottest topic. I think what organizations have to figure out is why we gather, for what purpose. And when we can answer that question, we can make some determinations about when are we in the office? When are we working remotely? Um, for what reason will we gather? And there's lots of them. Not everybody can work remotely and do a good job, right? It's not a productive environment for everybody. A lot of people enjoy being in the office and that's terrific. You want to have that option. There are other people who don't want to take on a two hour commute to sit next to a coworker and be on Zoom meetings all day and then go home, right? That doesn't make sense either. The um, CEO of Allstate, I think it's Tom Wilson, famously said, commuting is overrated, right? Like, why would I do that? So I think it's to your point, and we were talking earlier about how you manage your firm is allowing the people who are doing the work to have agency over how they do their work where they do their work, when they do their work, as long as they're getting the job done. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a challenge from a, a leadership standpoint is when people are in the office, you feel like you're much more connected. There's, I'm sure, yeah. a supervisory sure. aspect to it where you feel more comfortable because you know they're there. And at least in your mind, you think they're working. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> they're not around at all. And maybe they check in a few times a day. Uh, I would imagine that whole relationship from a leadership's perspective, it's got to be challenging of how do I frame my mindset as a leader to approach this world where I may not see as many people as frequently as I did in the past? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, management by walking around went extinct in COVID, right? You can't, you just can't do that anymore. And truthfully, it wasn't always a fail safe anyway, you know, Sometimes remote work in this environment has become a scapegoat saying, oh, people are productive because we don't know what they're doing. Well, when they're in the office and they're in the coffee room for a half an hour with the colleague they haven't seen in a couple of years, they're doing the same thing. So it's not really a matter of location. It's a matter of how you lead and manage your people, right? So it's lead the people, manage the work. And what we saw in uh, my research and shows up in my book is five practices that really came to the surface. And they are um, 
we call the deciding factor. There's a chapter on how we learn to make decisions in the moment with the information we have, knowing that it might change or it might be wrong. Um, we learned how to experiment. So perfection, progress over perfection is another chapter because we had to figure out different ways to work. We had to try new things that we may not have been comfortable with, but we had to figure it out. Um, there's a chapter on adaptability wins because it really is all about being flexible. How can we be more nimble? Do we really need to have that meeting? <laughs> Was a great reevaluation time of how we spend our time and, and being fle flexible and nimble. Another one was around sending signals, and that's where a lot of organizations are getting tripped up now because we've spent three years telling people they were productive and thanks for keeping my business running. And as soon as the pandemic waves, it's, oh, no, never mind. You're not really productive. Come back to the office. And that just, that doesn't sit right with people. You're not going to come back because the boss said so. Um, there needs to be a real valid purpose to it. And the biggest one that we saw was empathy as your superpower. Because during the pandemic, for the first time, leaders were peering into living rooms and laundry rooms and garages that were converted to offices just because people needed to get the work done. We watched cattails go across screens. We saw little kids screaming in the back. There were all these other things that were happening, but we were still able to get our work done. Um, and so leaders really got a sense firsthand, many for the first time, of the challenges our employees face when they're trying to get their work done. Um, and those five practices, you know, it was funny, I interviewed like 28 leaders. By the time I got about a third of the way through my interviews, those five, I could almost predict what people were going to tell me. Those five practices just kept coming up over and over and over again. And we captured a lot of great stories and examples of how it all played out. Yeah, I listened to those five practices and, you know, my first thought was that's actually a parenting manual, progress over perfection, <laughs> Yes, that too. <laughs> which, which I had that uh, earlier than I, I, the time I finally figured that out. But, you know, what, what you described about things are going to change and how you make decisions, the progress over perfection, the, the adaptability yeah. wins, being flexible and uh, the signals, that's like a startup culture. So as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah. like, if you're younger as a company, this is your norm. And right. you're kind of used to that. But also, I think when you're in a younger company like that, you have no choice but to empower all of your people. So they have a different level of responsibility. That doesn't sound shocking to me because we're younger companies around here. But right. more established firms of this is the way we do it with all of these procedures in place and people and history. How hard is it for them to say it's like a startup? It's awful. The, mo the more mature your organization is, that's, but if you're following the media, those are the organizations that are all calling for everybody back in. It's all your big financial institutions that have been around for you know, 80, 100 years. Right. It, and the truth of it, too, is we have some professions and industries that will never be remote, right? So you've got manufacturing, you've got healthcare, you've got in-person retail, hospitality, those professions and industries will always be in person and we want them to be right we want to go experiences those things the magic is finding the happy medium that works for your organization and giving our employees agency over how we do it is is one of the key pieces um 
one of the last chapters is called Mindset Reset. Hmm. And it's about really you need to start rethinking how you think about the office and how you use that space and why we gather. Um, I was telling you earlier, there's a really good uh, article that Entrepreneur Magazine published two weeks ago. And they're talking about the the tragic impact and results from this mandate that organizations are pulling people back in and they hit the trifecta. So Mm -hmm. voluntary turnover is higher than anticipated. So people are still quitting even in a, in a crazy economy because they can't have the flexible work arrangements that they're looking for. And then we have the talent acquisition function where they're trying to hire people in people won't even apply if it doesn't say it's flexible. So they're not finding the talent they need because they're being rigid about an office structure. And lastly, the engagement scores of the people who have gone back, but don't want to go back because they feel trapped, maybe not have a next alternative in this moment, the engagement scores are in the tank. So attrition is up. (laughs) I can't find the talent I need. And my engagement scores are in the tank. So that is like the worst trifecta for a talent marketplace that I've seen probably in my entire career. Yeah, I just listened to it. And I think this is such a disruptive time. That's one of the things about the pandemic. I did a a presentation years ago and I talked about certain events in history that when they happen, you didn't really recognize them as being so transformational. Um, The pandemic, I wouldn't put as one of those because our whole world turned upside down and business literally shut down. But the knock-on effects of those over 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to transform how how companies work, right? And I'll I'll just say quickly, when you're talking about trying to hire new people, if it doesn't say remote or flexible, they won't even apply. So now you've got a whole company with all these employees who don't have the flexibility. And in order to get the new ones that you need on your team, you have to offer it. Well, what are you going to do with the people who now don't have the flexibility? I mean, it's like a revolution going on inside the walls. It is. And you know what really gives me great pleasure is right now, the workforce has the upper hand. And that's, I think, a first time in our history where we're seeing a workforce that has said you know what i'm drawing the line i've got my boundaries i've got new ways to work i have other options and i just i'm not going to play that game anymore and i think it's really i think it's going to bring a a whole new like you said evolution of what work really is and how work gets done I think it's an awesome uh, topic to talk about. I love the title of your book. I've I've taken so many notes there. I'm going to have to watch this again because I probably missed half of what you said, just (laughs) typing things out of, oh, that's a nugget. I've got to know that one. But I'm fortunate that within a month or two, I'm actually going to hear you do the keynote at Wealth at Work. So you'll be joining us for Wealth at Work in the fall. I am so excited about that. Yeah, great conference, great location, and wonderful topic for people to really dive into. What makes it great for us is for this particular conference, these are the RIAs, these are the professionals that work with companies or organizations that have 401k plans and they help with benefits. And a lot of their people that are their direct contact, 
they're in HR. They may be on the investment yeah. committee. So why we thought this topic was so relevant, why it's fascinating to me is, is this is what the people we're talking to are dealing with on a daily basis. If we thought really? HR execs were stressed and overwhelmed five or 10 years ago, <laughs> it's a whole new world, people. Oh, right? yes. But, right. But this is who we're talking to. So it's going to be great insight for them. So Marianne, it's great to meet you. It's great to have you on the show here. Can't wait to see you in October at Wealth at Work. Great. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening to Wealth at Work. The information covered and posted represents the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Advisor2x. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.